0: Hey, everyone, welcome to the Pursuit of Service podcast. Have a good episode for you today. Brian's going to teach us on the four qualities of a godly leader. And what's great about this content is that it's going to be super transferable. So we're going to talk about it in the lens of leadership, but this applies to, you know, just the four qualities that you would want in a teammate, um, in someone that you work with, in someone that you work for. Um in an athlete that you're coaching. So it's very transferable these qualities. Um, so hopefully you can take some notes, digest it, apply it, and make yourself a better leader. Well hey Brian, how are you? I'm good, Jeff. How you doing, my friend? Fantastic. Really looking forward to uh, this this content and this lesson that you put together. Um, so I think it's going to be great for the listeners.
1: Well, good. Yeah, I hope it, it really applies. You know, a lot of times, regardless of what organization you lead or a department you lead or a team you lead, um, you know, a lot of times it's like, okay, what's the what's the type of person that we're looking for? And so I think what we're going to be able to do is really provide some people with some framework to identify the type of people they want to add to their teams and then the people on their teams, what they want them to become or develop them into becoming. So, yeah, I think it's going to be very helpful content and very excited to share about it.
0: I'm excited too. And if I think about what it means to be a servant leader, it's for the benefit of others. And one thing I like to tell people is if you want to be considered valuable, then you have to add value to other people and you have to give value away. And so that's what you're going to teach us today um, is how to have that posture. What are the qualities that we can have and that we can pursue as leaders? in order to be more valuable to those around us. So why don't you just dive right in and and let us know what you got.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, for me, the best leadership book ever written is the Bible. And the key as a leader is, okay, do I have the ability to actually go into the Bible and extract leadership principles from it? So we're going to look at second Samuel uh, chapter 23, verses eight through 39. So what's happening here is David, when he's on the run with Saul, had these group of individuals with him. And they're kind of affectionately known as David's mighty men. And so this is the passage that really kind of talks about them. And so I think when when we look at this, this is where we're going to get our content. So I'm not going to read all the verses uh, at one time, but I'm just going to read bits and pieces, and then you and I are just going to break them down a little bit. So we're Sounds going to, st- and some of these names are going to be challenging. So if you can forgive me in stumbling around, but let's start in in uh, verse number eight, and it says these are the names of David's mighty warriors. First person listed, by the way, is Joshab Bashabeth, a was the chief of the three. So out of this group of thirty-seven men, three were set apart. Okay, all right. So once again, Josheb Bashabeth, a was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Now you're, you're a warrior. And so I'm very interested to get your take (laughs) on this, but uh, you know, the funny thing, the funny thing about the Bible is we as human beings, especially me. So I'm the chief of sinners on this, have the ability to embellish things. Mm. Like I'll go, that was awesome. Okay. Well, Also means worthy of awe. Yeah. Okay. It's not worthy of awe. It's a burrito. Okay. I mean, the burrito (laughs) tasted good, but the burrito was not awesome. Okay. Um, The Bible does not embellish. This individual killed 800 enemy soldiers with a spear at one time. And so the number one thing that you want out of somebody on your team is production they produce tangible results. results. Now, if we insert, our, insert ourselves into this story, and this is where I want to kind of get your thoughts. If you want to have great production, especially in the context of this story, I think you're going to need three things. Number one, uh, physical stamina. Yes. And I think, um, you know, you're, you're we hear it all the time. The most important abilities are availability, dependability and reliability. Mm-hmm. OK, so you have to train your your body and you have to be able to struggle so that you develop the physical stamina needed for production in your area of discipline. So any thoughts on that, my friend, as as a as an army ranger?
0: Absolutely. Uh, Anything worth doing almost is hard and difficult by nature. Um, And on account of that, it requires that, you know, minute to minute, day to day, week to week, consistent consistency and anything. And Mm -hmm. it's tiring, you know, mentally, physically tiring. It's exhausting sometimes. And this is why we see burnout so prevalent these days. Um, However, you have to be able to endure that and uh, persevere through it. So we talk about comfortable being uncomfortable. And as a, a leader, and specifically as a producer, that that discomfort is sort of part of the game. So anything worth doing is tiring and exhausting. And so you got to fight through it and persevere, you got to be strong, you got to be brave, and you got to be tough. Yeah. And
1: the, the phrase I always heard is struggle is necessary for strength. Yep. And ironically, that's a biblical principle. So, so, so for production, you've got to have the physical stamina. It's going to be difficult. Second thing is you have to be a master of your craft. Uh, obviously, this individual knew how to use a spear very, very effectively. Uh, whatever tools that you've been provided, uh, in, your, in your area of discipline and in your work and in your industry. You have to know how to use those tools effectively. And one of the things that, that I appreciate about becoming a master of your craft is you don't rely on your natural talent. Your natural talent is merely the platform that you've been given to become a professional at your task. And the phrase that I've heard recently that I really like is the people who become masters of their craft actually outwork their talent. Mm. And yep. so, you, you know, Jeff, once again, I mean, you, you are an expert tactician on the battlefield and would love your thoughts on being a master of your craft and knowing how to use your tools.
0: Yeah. And let me first say, this is sort of the beauty of reading the Bible, because what we have is, is one line. He raised a spear against 800 men who he killed in an encounter. That's one thing that we know about him. But if you think about what that means, it's so deep. So what that means is that I cannot imagine how many hours of training that he had before he confronted 800 men that he killed. I mean, 10,000 hours is a rule of thumb, probably at least that if I had to guess, because that's quite the feat. Um, And, and so that's what it takes. Master of your craft takes intentional training. What do I mean by training? I mean, repeatable, measurable, instant feedback so you can adjust and always be stretching yourself. Anything that you do to train yourself should be just a little bit harder than you expect, because you're going to adapt like we were talking about before.
1: I'm so glad to have you on this <laughs> you add such uh context and such weightiness to these principles so and then the final thing on uh, production is you know and I try to mentally insert myself as I'm sitting there watching this play out and that's efficiency uh Joseph Bashebeth probably had no wasted motion yep no uh, yeah th- and, and I think it, when you think about efficiency as an individual and as a leader, the, the phrase that I come back to is you have to edit your life. Yeah. You, ha- you have to say, okay, this is what I want to accomplish. And whatever task or, or whatever behavior or whatever may be coming up that doesn't take me one step closer to that goal, I need to edit that out of my life. Yeah. And, and, you know, when, when I think about the overwhelming odds of one person against 800 with, with no weapons that can eliminate large number of people simultaneously, I think, about, I think about the principle of efficiency and how he had to go about that task. So what's your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I think efficiency is really rooted in, especially for us in not wasting time. So just as you said, inventorying our schedule, inventorying our energy. So time is our most precious commodity. However, where we actually focus our energy, whether or not we spend time on things or not, where we focus our energy and our attention um, and our effort, you know, should be very intentional and not wasted. Um, And and yeah, you're right. I mean, there's there's no way that it took, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us, but um, I don't think that he was killing 800 men over 800 days. I mean, right. this was an encounter, um, and so there's no wasted time or energy in order to, in order for that to be be possible. Yeah.
1: All right. So the first lesson we learn if if you're going to be the type of person that every organization or church would want to have or athletic team or nonprofit is production. Uh, the second one is found in verses nine and ten, and it says, "Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahahite." As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pass Damon for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. In other words, they had to literally pry the sword out of this man's hand. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Then the troops returned to Eleazar only to strip the dead. So yeah, several things interesting about that. And then I'm going to get to the principal. Um, everybody retreated but him. And then everybody came back after he did his job and basically enjoyed the spoils of victory. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how disheartening it, it, you know, we've all been in situations. Hopefully we've been on the end where we've done all the work. And then somebody showed up when the boss was handing out credit or the photo op was being done. Yep. And, the, and the people that did all the work, you know, uh, you know, I just kind of read that in there. But here's the principle we learned from Eleazar: The first one was production. This one is passion. Once again, they literally had to pry the sword out of this man's hand. Yep. And, you know, when you use the word passion, you, you hear a lot of things, you know, energy, excitement, fervor, uh, you, you know, and all of those words are correct. I think if you take all the normal definitions of passion and wrap them up into a single phrase, I say passion is when you own the result. Yeah. That's it has story. this element to it that not on my watch is this going to happen. Yep, It's got an over my dead body kind of approach to it. And when, when you are looking for people on your team, you want them to have that level of engagement and that level of ownership, and ultimately that level of passion that nothing is gonna stand between them and accomplishing whatever task that's been set before them. So yeah. Jeff, from your perspective, what role does passion play into the process?
0: I think passion is the, the fuel of the fire and the way it manifests itself in, in this example is, is really commitment. So commitment is a decision before you get to the decision point. I'm deciding to follow through with something. And when it gets hard, I've already decided, you know, th- there's no longer a question of, boy, this is hard. Should I keep going? No, 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 no. When you have committed that is a past thing. You make a commitment, you are committed. And uh, so this guy was committed. He committed beforehand, and so much so that he was the last man standing, and they had to pry the sword out of his hands. And I think that that's really only possible if it comes from a place of passion. I mean, we make commitments all the time, but um, when the rubber hits the road and, and the bad guys are attacking, and you're the only one there with your sword in your hand. If there's no passion there, then the commitment will fall apart.
1: Yeah. And I think if you're interviewing people and you've got two individuals that basically their skill set and their resumes and their experience and all of that's fairly equal, passion, there's two things that are the differentiator, passion and attitude. Who's ever got the better attitude and who's ever got more passion? That's the differentiators between two equal people that you're looking to add to your team. So. All right. Third thing, this is verse eleven and twelve. Next to him was Shema, son of Agi, the Harite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of, of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. So th- these Israelites, they have gotten real good at abandoning their their warrior. Okay, but Shema stood took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines, Philistines down and the Lord brought about a great victory. Here's what I think we learned from uh, of Shema, perseverance. Everybody else quit. Mm-hmm. He did not.
0: Took a um, stand.
1: He took a stand. I, I think, um, you know, a lot of listeners, um, to this podcast have probably read the Bible cover to cover, if not significant portions of it. Nowhere in the Bible did God call anybody to an easy task. That's right. Um, Leadership and service and life was not supposed to be easy. There is built in challenge and built in hardship. And you've already discussed that and uh, previously about the value of that. Um, And here's, here's why, in my opinion, God designed it that way. God designed things to be beyond our natural ability and our natural strength because it would then force us to rely on him and press into him and rely on him for the victory. Yep. Um, If not, we become extremely self-sufficient. We don't need God. We become our own God, you know, and I think God builds in things into life that are beyond us so that we can rely on him. And realize that he is ultimately the source of our strength. And uh, one of the things I'm just kind of concerned about in the world we live today is we have institutionalized quitting and even celebrate it. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I don't think that's healthy. I think if some people have some issues, they need to get medical attention for that and get that dealt with. But just because things are hard We don't need to institutionalize the abandonment of assignment uh, when when things get difficult. So what's your your thoughts on perseverance?
0: Perseverance builds character so that we can be prepared. That's what scripture tells us. So um, as you said, everything, you know, life is difficult. There are times that we just have to persevere. Um, so I don't have a whole lot to add to that. If you have the passion that allows you to, to persevere. So yeah. everything in life is going to require perseverance. Okay. Very good. So
1: now we've talked about these three individual, uh, uh these three men individually, and now we're going to wrap it up by talking about them collectively. And this is going to be verses 13 through 17. And it said, during harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped at the valley of Rapham. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. It is not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives, and David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors." So we learn from them individually production, passion, and perseverance, but when they come together collectively, we learned from them loyalty. Yep. They just love David. And, you know, I picture this and David's just kind of leaning back and he's like, man, wouldn't it be great to have a drink of water from the from the well of Bethlehem? And these mm-hmm. three men heard that and they said, let's get him some water. And they literally broke through the enemy lines, risked their life, got him that water and brought it back to him. And so the question that I would have for everybody that reports to somebody, and we all report to somebody, even if it's our customers. Okay. Do you love them? I mean, is there loyalty there? Mm -hmm. You know, when they make an offhanded comment like this, do you have such an effective affection for them that you're like, I'll do anything I can to serve them and bless them in this manner. And here's the final thing I've got for loyalty, and, and then I'll turn it over to you. Loyalty does not make you a leader, but disloyalty disqualifies you from being a leader. Yep. That's so, fantastic. so if you're disloyal, uh, I, you know, I guess the 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 warning for today is you need to deal with that, and you need to repent of that, and whatever is causing you to be disloyal to those you report to in your organization. You either need to deal with that or find you a new organization that you can be loyal to. Yeah. All right. So Jeff, your thoughts on loyalty.
0: Yeah. So there's so much here to this little passage. Um, The first thing I noticed is that the loyalty is reciprocal. Mm -hmm. So in fact, David didn't even ask them to get the water. Um, And so when they brought it out of reverence for them is when he kind of poured it out for the Lord. It was, it was them who he was honoring when he decided not to drink it. Um, you mentioned that loyalty is, is, uh, loyalty doesn't make you a, a leader, um, in a similar fashion. It's, it's not loyalty alone, but it's, uh, action. Leadership is action. Um, taking the initiative, being proactive. Again, Dave didn't ask these guys to go get the water. He was just sort of thinking out loud and they took the initiative to solve this problem. Um, it reminds me of Nehemiah when Nehemiah recognized that there was a problem with his home city of Jerusalem and took the initiative to do something about it. Um, And, you know, just to kind of summarize all these things, I can't help, but to notice that there's a little bit of a progression that, that they basically encompasses preparation. So they were in this position to serve David and go get the water because of the preparation that they had throughout their lives um, and what they've shown through the training and the uh, production uh, through the passion, through the commitment um, and all those things. And so for, for us as leaders, what we can take away from this is they wouldn't have been in that position had they not gone through the preparation of their lives, the perseverance, the perseverance to get there. So if we're ever in a position where, you know, I want that promotion, or I feel like I should be leading this or, or something like that. My first question is, have you prepared for it? Because God may not put you there if you haven't prepared yourself and refined your character to be in that position to begin with. Yeah.
1: You know, I uh, embedded in this is, you know, we, we all remember leaders that we admire and leaders that we didn't admire for whatever reason. And so I can't help but read this and say, what kind of leader was David that these three men with this level of skill, this level of talent, this level of commitment, they loved him and respected him and admired him so much, they would literally risk their life to get him a cup of water. Yeah. And you sit there and you go, okay, I just killed 800 people with a spear. But this is a guy that I admire and I'll risk my life for. That says as much about David as pretty much about it. Other than God saying, you know, David was a man after my own heart. These type of men are not going to follow an uncommitted, untalented, nominal, non-invested leader. That's so good. Yeah. So, so yeah, so once again, to wrap it up, uh, if you're building kind of a grid, of, this is the type of person our organization is wanting to have. You want somebody who produces, who's got a track record of success, and then all the things that are behind the scenes that are necessary to be a person of production. You want a person who's passionate, who owns the result, you know, who makes commitments before the commitment's needed. And then you want somebody who perseveres uh, and has the character and they just have a record of not quitting. And then you want somebody who's loyal. And then as the leader, as Jeff said, you want to be able to reciprocate those four things so that uh, you can be the leader worthy of leading those type of people.
0: Mm. So good.
1: All right. So Jeff, normally at this point, we do our what have you learned segment. Well, I've just kind of walked through what I've learned. So, so since the last time we got together, what, what have you learned?
0: Yeah, so I think I'm just going to bring up one kind of interesting, uh, you know, kind of factoid or statistic that I've learned. Um, I'm in the I'm in the process of reading kind of two or three books at the same time, which is typical of me, but it kind of jumbles me. Um, but I've also mentioned uh, that um taking online seminary courses at, at Liberty. And so yeah. I'm studying the New Testament right now. And this is just a simple factoid that I'll kind of tie into to what we're talking about. Um, and there's this little chart that said um, that the number of Greek manuscripts, like ancient writings, that incorporated part or all of the New Testament, there's over 5,700 different writings. I just thought that was really interesting because we often... Perceive the Bible as sort of one thing, and it adds a lot of credence and a lot of credibility to it to think about, you know, in, you know, kind of the first generation or two after Jesus, there are close to 6,000 different writings and accounts of what we think of as the four gospels that all corroborate each other. And that, that provides a historical richness that really should strengthen our faith because our faith is based on reality, real history and real events and not fairy tales. And this sort of puts, puts that to, to real life really. So I just thought that was interesting kind of things that you already know, if you believe the Bible is true, um, Mm -hmm. but to kind of see it quantified in in you know, close to 6,000 different writings is, is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I'll throw in one thing. Um, Here's an interesting stat. You just gave an interesting stat. I'll give an interesting stat. In 2021, one third of all Americans have lived in a natural disaster area. Hmm. Think about that. I mean, you think about the hurricanes in Florida and New York that we've seen recently, the wildfires in California, so those are two, you know, Florida, New York, and California, three heavy and Texas, heavy population areas. Yeah. Um, but this year, as of, as of now, one third of all Americans at one point or another in 2021 have lived in a natural disaster area as defined by FEMA.
0: Hmm. That's incredible.
1: So this is not a pro- prophetic uh, podcast. I will, just, <laughs> I will just say this. You know, I'll quote my old pastor Crawford Loritz, God is speaking, that's not debatable. What is debatable is, uh, you know, what is it that he's saying? Yeah, but everybody needs to say, okay, God's speaking, what is he saying? And what does that mean to me? But that is uh, shocking when you think one third of all Americans have been in a national disaster area this year.
0: Yeah, shocking is is good and, and frightening. Um, yeah, God, I think God is always speaking to us and it just feels like the last two years, he's starting to speak up a little louder. So (laughs) Perhaps we should listen. All right. Well, I tell you what, Jeff, I hope our leaders have
1: really learned this. Hope it builds a framework for decision-making in terms of their hiring and things of that nature. And, uh, it's just really been an honor to have this conversation with you and you bring your completely unique perspective on it. And, uh, it's, it's been a real joy, my friend
0: likewise i'm always amazed by your ability to um dissect and and really create this content so i'm just i'm just honored to have you on the podcast so um for everybody listening i hope you can take these four principles um and really use them to make you a better leader so that you can serve others not as a task but as a purpose